Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, and we're so very grateful uh, for your kindness toward us. We thank you, Lord God, for your grace that you've shed upon us. And we thank you, Lord God, that we are indeed accepted in the beloved. I pray, Lord God, as we look into your word, that um, you would bless it to our hearing. And that, Father in heaven, we would contemplate what it is that you you have for us to, to know. And that, Lord, not only would we meditate it, but, Father, we'd also seek to apply it in our lives. Uh, truth does us no good if we don't learn to live that truth. And so we thank you and praise you, Lord, uh, for your love for us in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're still on the on the old worksheet. And I think I was talking about uh, victory. And you'll have the picture on your worksheet about the heel crushing the serpent's head. That's where we're kind of at. So just to fill in some of the blanks real quick. Uh, it's victory that we're looking at. And Jesus came to win a victory. It was a two-part campaign. It was first a spiritual victory. And this victory, this spiritual victory, is more critical. was a more critical victory to be won. And the Father met the greatest need of man first in redeeming man uh, from sin and death. So that's, that's your blanks. We also said it was a, it, it will be a literal physical victory over the Antichrist and his allies over Satan. Did you get all that? That's, so that's where we went up to. Alright, so now, uh, we're gonna look at on your worksheet where it says the joy set before him. You see that? No? <laughs> That should be on your worksheet. There should be a picture of, like, a yellow picture of people standing in heaven. Yes. Okay, that's about where we're at, right there. Okay. Did you say people standing in heaven? Yeah. Well, that's the picture. It's just a. It's just a reference. Where did you get a picture of heaven? I'm just curious. <laughs> it's amazing what you find on the web nowadays, Ron. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so the joy set before him. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 says, uh, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. So in this passage, we can observe uh, two aspects of the Lord's joy. Okay, and that's what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about the joy of our of our fellowship with the Father. And I was uh, relating with you the joy that the, the that Jesus knew in His fellowship with the Father. That very same joy we also uh, can share in. We also can experience. And so. Um, in this passage of Hebrews, we see at least two aspects of his joy. And the first one is the joy of men coming to Christ as their Savior, the souls of the redeemed 
that Christ uh, had suffered on the cross uh, for, uh, that was a source of great joy for him. To save you was a source of great joy to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I put that picture in there. Yes, Ron, I know. I didn't go to heaven to take the picture. But I put that picture in there, um, you know, to remind us that, you know, one of these days we're all going to be in the presence of the Lord and we're all going to be just rejoicing and shouting uh, you know, out his glory and stuff in Revelations 5 11 through 13 he says and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is, which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard of heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. I mean that is going to be quite a praise service. And we're all going to be part of that. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you indeed are born again of his spirit, we are going to be part of that praise service. And that is the joy that the Lord had seen. That was that was the joy that that uh, was set before him that uh, that he endured the cross for. Uh, then uh, the other aspect of this joy is the ultimate triumph of victory. The ultimate triumph of victory in First Corinthians fifteen. In verses twenty four through twenty eight. Then come at the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father when he shall have, even the Father, even when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under his feet, under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So on your worksheet, the joy that was set before him worth enduring the cross was the final victory over all that opposed the will of God and the restoration of what the Father had originally intended for his creation. Okay, so final victory and restoration. Now that's that's something that the Lord received joy. This is what, something he was joyful about. He knew that his victory on the cross was going to, uh, lack of a better term, just pave the way for better things. So on your worksheet, victory over sin and death and the devil, victory that enables, is the word, the ushering in a new heaven and a new earth with redeemed race of men and of holy elect angels, worshiping and serving and glorifying and enjoying unbroken fellowship with the Holy One in perfect obedience and love. That was that joy that was set before him. You know, right now our fellowship... Can be broken, can it? And what generally is it that breaks our fellowship with the Father? Yeah, it's our sin. It's when we walk in darkness. You realize one of these days, folks, we're not going to have to mess around with that sin. We are going to be sinless. That's going to be amazing. I'm really looking forward to that. I am really looking forward to that. 
So this very same victory that Jesus won on the cross is our victory. It's our victory. If you believe in Christ as your Savior, that's your victory as well. That's your victory as well. And that's something that we can rejoice in. I mean, we can rejoice about it now, and boy, we are really going to rejoice about it later. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So, that is our victory. That is our victory. And that's something that we can, can rejoice in. Something that we can rejoice in. So, um, on your next uh, blank on your worksheet, letter E, I think, maybe? Huh? D. D or E. I have E. We have D. Okay. Well, that's not unusual. <laughs> the word would be sonship. Sonship. You know, this is something else that the Lord rejoiced in. His sonship. John chapter 1, verses 33-34. Uh, John the Baptist says, And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw him bear record that this is the Son of God. That this is the Son of God. So on your worksheet, and I'm going to be nasty, one would have to be a complete fool or a hardened skeptic to miss the truth of what John wrote about in his gospel that Jesus Christ is indeed the very Son of God. So you'd either have to be a complete fool or a hardened skeptic if you don't see that. If you don't see that. I mean, even Jesus' enemies understood that this was the claim that he was making of himself. You know, it, it just cracks me up when you read about people who say, well, Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God, or Jesus never claimed to be deity. Well, obviously, they never read the Word of God. Because that's not true. That's not true. Even Jesus' enemies understood that was the claim that Jesus was making. And John five seventeen through 18, But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Why? Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. So don't tell me that Jesus never said, I am the Son of God. He did, very clear. They just didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to believe it. So on your worksheet, and I didn't know of a better way to put this, here is the nucleus of his joy in that he knew that he was the very Son of God. I didn't know, I didn't know a better word to use. Yeah, I didn't know a better word to use. Uh, John 13:3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he was come from God and went to God. He knew. He knew. Um, John seven twenty eight. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and you know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not, but I know him. 
For I am from him, and he hath sent me. He rejoiced in that knowledge. John sixteen twenty seven. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. He rejoiced in that knowledge. He rejoiced in that knowledge. John 15.10 If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. He He knew this. It brought joy to him. That brought joy to him. Even when he was, what, 12 years old? He knew who he was. He knew who he was. Luke 2, 48 through 49. And when they saw them, saw him, they were amazed. His mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Thus dealt with us. Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? So even as a very young man, he, he knew who he was. And he rejoiced in this. He rejoiced in this. I mean, I, I can't possibly, I don't think any of us can possibly plumb the depths of the joy that he must have, must have had knowing, knowing that he was indeed the very Son of God. Knowing of that intimacy, knowing of that relationship, knowing that he came forth from the Father, was sent by the Father into the world, and right now he sits at the right hand of the Father. I mean, that that was just such a source of joy to him. When he was speaking to his disciples in John 14, when he was preparing you know, them for what lay uh, before him as far as his betrayal and everything was going on, he says in John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how have I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye love me... Ye would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father. Now, isn't that a wild thing to say? That is. It's kind of a wild thing to say because you know what he's talking about, don't you? He's talking about being nailed to that cross. He's talking about being whipped and beaten. And yet he says to these guys, he says, If ye love me, you would, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto my Father. You know, he was looking forward to that. He was rejoicing in that. He was rejoicing in that. It is this very truth that the Antichrist and the false prophets want to, want to take away from you guys. They want to steal this truth away from you. Don't let them do it. Don't let them do it. Don't let anybody tell you that he was not the Son of God or he was not God. Don't let them do that. And they're out there everywhere. Everywhere. Let me tell you something else, folks. You know who else is the Son of God? Maybe not at the, you know, what is the right word, at the level that Jesus... You know who else is the Son of God? You and I. Do you rejoice in that? Do you? Amen. Yeah. 
First John 4.2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, wherever you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So, uh, don't let anybody take that away from you. Don't let anybody take that away from you. 1 John 4.13, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. That's something to shout about, folks. That's something to shout about. Knowing that you are a son of God, a child of the light, accepted in the beloved. That's a source of joy to us. So on your worksheet, though we may be currently burdened, currently burdened with the infirmities of our flesh that the Apostle Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 7, because of our union with Christ by the unction, and we're going to talk about that, given to us, there exists the same potential for each of us, the same joy of knowing that we are the sons of God in Christ. See, that's what Brian's talking about on Wednesday night in identifying with Christ. See, we make the mistake sometimes and we identify with other things. You know, well, I'm American. You know, we, ad- we identify with that, or, you know, I'm a follower of Pastor so-and-so, or I- I'm a Baptist, or I'm, you know, we identify with so many things. No, we need to identify with Christ. He is our identity. That's what First John, that's one of the things that First John's talking about, is our identifying with Christ. John 1.12 says, But as many as received them, to them gave he power to become the sons of become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And I talked to you about that word power. It also means authority. We are walking around with the authority of being sons of God. That's why we that's why we can overcome the world. First John 3 1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purify himself, even as he is pure. John also says, you know, walk as he walked. You see, the foundation of the joy of our fellowship is based on truth, righteousness, and love. That's what 1 John is all about. Truth, righteousness, and love. That's what the joy of our fellowship is based upon, that foundation. You get out of whack in any of this, and it's going to affect the joy of your salvation. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. By faith in Christ Jesus. I'm not, that's not something I, that I claim for my, that's something that's been gifted to me. That's something that God gave me. 
Romans 8.16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, there's a teaching out there that everybody is a child of God. Is that true? Unfortunately, no. It's not true. That's not true. Exactly. Yeah, we want them to be part of the family, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. When Jesus was in the garden praying unto the Father about what he would soon endure to reconcile man um, unto God... Uh oh, I'm missing a page. There it is. God listened to what he, you know, uh, listen to what he prayed in Mark's gospel, Mark 14:36, and he said, "Abba, Father, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but Thou wilt." Abba, Father. Now, the Greek word for father is pater. And again, I'm not a Greek scholar. I just go to my strongs and, you know, so. But the word pater or father, that, that, you know, yes, he's addressing his heavenly father. But the the word applies to one's um, progenitor. Right? I mean, I've got... I've got my son sitting back there on the back back row. And it's good to see you, Jason. He's you know, he he you know I gotta be gross. He's the product of my seed. Correct? That's what that's what that is. That's what that is. That's that's what the word is. And Jesus Christ is the product of the Father in heaven. Born of the Virgin. So in a biological human application, this would refer to the male who provides a seed that fertilizes the woman's egg. Alright? So on your worksheet, the title of father is more of a formal and reverent address to one's father. Alright, so when you call someone your father, that's a term of reverence. A term used to express respectful submission to the authority of a father in relation to the son. You see, a lot of people get uh, get get a lot of heartburn whenever Jesus said that, you know, the father is greater than me. Oh, you see right there, Jesus is saying he's not deity and, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's what the Jehovah Witness like to pull on you all the time. No, what Jesus is saying there is that that's a term of respect. Toward his Father in heaven. We do the same thing to our own fathers. It's not that Jesus is any less. John chapter 5 makes it very clear that Jesus and the Father are equal in, in, in so many regards. That's just a term of reverence and a term of respect. So don't let some Jehovah Witness tell you, well, that's just showing you that Jesus said he's not really God. That's a lie, folks. Don't believe that stuff. It's on your worksheet. The title I want to focus on is the Aramaic word Abba. Abba is a term of intimate endearment. That's a strong emotional word that expresses a bond of love that exists between a child and its father. Now, I know I've given you this example 
I watched a um, documentary about World War II, specifically about the Jews and the Holocaust. I know I've used this example. And they were showing a movie where the families were being separated and put on these boxcars, these cattle cars. And the German shoulders were going through separating the men from the women and the children. And this German soldier went up and, and wrenched this little boy out of his father's arms to carry him off. And you could see, the, it was silent film, but you could see the little boys mouthing the word Abba, Abba, Abba. That's how strong that word is. That's how strong that word is. On your worksheet, the issue here in the matter of fellowship with the Father is a failure to identify with Christ in this matter of sonship. Our joy is made full when we experience what is already true of us. So on your worksheet, it becoming real to us by faith in His Word. That's why truth is so important. So on your worksheet, this joy promised to us through fellowship is experienced as our apprehension of that which the Bible says is true of us grows unto perfection. We need to mature in our faith. That's what it means unto perfection. And this perfection is is manifested by our love. 1 John 4.16 And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. You want to grow up in your Christian life? Then mature in your love toward God. Mature in your love toward God. Grow up. Grow up in your love toward God. John seventeen thirteen through 15. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This is Jesus praying that uh, priestly prayer. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, neither as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. Galatians 4, 6, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of the Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's Galatians 4, 6. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been so moved by what you've read in the Word or so moved by the Spirit that you've cried out, Abba? The unction from the Holy One, according to 1 John 2.20, that anointing which abideth in us, according to 1 John 2.27, he that is in you, 1 John 4.4, the Spirit of truth, teaches us to cry out, Abba! Abba! Because he desires to have fellowship with you on that level. 
John 17:25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. Romans 8.15 For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So the same joy that Jesus Christ shared, uh, knew in being the Son of God, we have His Spirit within us. We have the Spirit of the Son within us. We also can know that same joy. And so when we are in the truth and we're righteous and we're, we know what He knows. Don't you want to know what He knows? I do. And John tells me I can know that. Now, in the very beginning of our study on joy, I told you the world knows nothing about this kind of joy. This, this joy to them is foolishness. This joy to them is just, I don't get it. But if you're a spirit-born child of God, you do know about it. It's yours. So the very last blank on this, on the old worksheet is this. The more we apprehend this aspect of our sonship, With the Father, the fuller our joy will be in fellowship with Him and those who know Him. Okay? The more we appreciate this aspect of our sonship with the Father, the fuller our joy will be in fellowship with Him and those who know Him. That's what, that's what uh, Brian is preaching on when he's talking about identifying with Christ. Identifying with Christ. Okay, so, any questions that I can't answer? Everybody get your blanks filled? As you stare at me with blank looks? Okay. Alright. Alright, so let's move on to the, on the, to the next worksheet. We're still talking about joy, and this will be the, I think this will be the, I think. <laughs> I think this will be the last lesson on joy. And then we're going to get into the epistle. But I wanted to lay down this, this, this groundwork, this foundation, before we actually get into the epistle, because, you know, when we get into the epistle, we need to understand these, these very necessary things about our fellowship with God. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Did you want one of these? Okay. So we're still on the topic, your joy may be full. And this is, this is part three of, um, of the lesson that we started in uh, 2021. So, I know it's been a while. So, so 1 John 1, 3 through 4, that's our verse for this um, study on joy. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. 
And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So you see, John wants you to know something. That's why he wrote this. That's why he wrote this. He wants you to know that your joy may be full. And this joy is through fellowship with the Father and through the Son. And like I said, we've camped out on this topic of fellowship and joy for quite some time. Because there's so much confusion out there um, about this 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 aspect of joy in the church uh, due to a lot of um, non-biblical Gnostic uh, teaching. And I've addressed some of that Gnostic teaching as we've gone through this, and I will continue to do that. And I am not ashamed to call out names either. Okay, so I will call out names if I need to. Because you guys need to be aware of uh, those uh, antichrists and those false teachers and prophets out there who are propagating a lie and are trying to steal away from us uh, this joy. So on your worksheet, uh, the world offers a cheap imitation. And the religious Gnostics a distorted interpretation of fellowship and joy. So cheap imitation by the world and a distorted interpretation by the the Gnostics, the false teachers and all those ladies and gentlemen out there claiming to be anointed of God. So on your worksheet, the primary fault with both lies in the source of this joy that they tout. One in materialism the other in false doctrine. And what is to be understood by being in fellowship with God based upon these two sandy foundations? Alright, so you've got materialism from the world, the secular world, and then you've got your false doctrine from the uh, religious crowd. And both of these are sandy foundations in regards to fellowship. That's why our fellowship rests on the sure foundation of truth, righteousness, and love. You get away from this, and you will threaten this. You'll threaten your joy of fellowship. The born-again believer... Uh, your fellowship with God faces a threat from your, th- from your uh, foes. They're very subtle. They sound right. Right? Whether it's secular or religious. Um, because they're jealous. They are jealous of your fellowship. They are jealous of your fellowship. And I'll say more about this uh, presently. But uh, let's do a little bit of um, basic Bible study. Alright? Uh, some basic Bible study about joy, the word joy. Okay, again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I do wear out my strongs. It's falling apart on me. So, so the word joy. Uh, the word joy is a Greek word, kara. C-H-A-R-A. Now, you guys don't need to know that. Okay, this is just me. This is just the way I work. Uh, if you want the Strong's number, it's 5479, so you know that I'm not blown smoke, okay? Um, and, and I like to see how uh, a particular word is used through the Bible, 
You know, I just, I just do. I like, I like, I like doing that. It kind of helps me get a better grasp on um, what the, the the message is or what it is that's being said. But this word kara, I don't know if this is on your. Do I have a copy of that? I don't know if I put this information on your study guide or not. Uh, uh, you got, yeah. Okay, you got the word. Yeah. All right, so um, I gave you some lines there. Uh, the most common way, guess what the most common way that this particular Greek word is translated? Yeah. How about joy? <laughs> That's what we're talking about. <laughs> joy. 51 times this word is translated joy. So, hmm, I wonder what this word means. See, you don't, see. Four times it's translated as gladness, one time joyful, one time joyous, one time joyfulness, one time joyfully. Huh, I wonder what, I wonder what he's trying to say here. Right? So joy. Joy. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all 51 occurrences that this... No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Let me use at least two examples of the 51 times. Okay? Uh, John 3.29. This is John the Baptist. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoices greatly... Because of the bridegroom's voice, this my joy, ka, therefore is fulfilled. Okay, that's John the Baptist. Second Timothy 1.4 Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with kara, or joy. So that's the, that's the Apostle Paul in regards to Timothy. Okay? So on your uh, worksheet, I think this proves insightful in the matter of joy that is ours to know and that it may be due to either some occasion right, like a marriage or more specifically due to someone's presence in our life that's the key right there right? That's the key right there. As 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 joyous as a, as as a wedding may be, right? As joyous as a wedding may be, uh, actually, what it is, you know, what really brings joy to the bridegroom is what his bride, right? It's not the party hardy. It's not the dancing. It's not the cake. It's none of that. What brings joy to the bridegroom is is his bride. Is his bride. Uh, with Paul, when he wrote in Second um, Timothy, as as joyous as a reunion may be, right? What makes that reunion special? It's the people or the person you're reunited with, right? So, huh, what does this tell me? It tells me that joy is associated with a person. The presence of a person. You know, I recall the first time I went to India with Pastor Brian. It was a wonderful trip. Uh, Brian is a great traveling uh, 
partner. He is. I mean, he, he just is. It was a wonderful trip. Even though I screamed like a little girl driving through the streets, you know, and all, I mean, it was a, it was a great trip. But honestly, there was a time in the trip I was ready to come home. Honestly, there was. As wonderful as it was, I, I was ready to come home. And so when I finally, when we got on that plane and we finally arrived at KCI, what really made it special for me in coming back home, it wasn't because I'm back home in the good old U.S. of A. It wasn't because I was going to get in, get to sleep in my own bed. I don't know about you guys, but the beds in India are as hard as this floor, aren't they? They are as hard as this floor. So one, you know what made my homecoming joyous to me? Out of all of the faces in that terminal as we got off the plane, I was looking for one face. And that was my wife, Diane. As soon as I saw Diane's face, I said, Ah, I am home. I am, I am, you know, I am home. A person. A person. This brings to my mind what Jesus had said to his disciples when they were observing the Lord's Passover, the Passover in John 15. In John 15:11, he says, "These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full." He says, "This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you." He says, "Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends." Ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Now I don't know what the disciples thought of that when Jesus called called them his friends. But it obviously meant something to John because he wrote it down. Right? He wrote it down. Wouldn't that be cool to hear the Lord Jesus Christ call you? You are my friend, Pam. Sherry, you are my friend. Kenley, you are my friend. Well, guess what? We are. We are. It is this, on your blank, on your worksheet, is this, it is this fellowship, this friendship, if you will, that the Apostle John is saying is ours. And the reason why he wrote his epistle to us, and that our joy may be full by this availability of intimate relationship with God. We are his friend. There is that intimacy that we can know. The Apostle Paul expresses joy for the Thessalonian believers. Even in the face of persecution, they stood fast in the faith. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 3, 7, 
He says, Therefore, brethren, we are comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again to you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. You see, this brought joy to to Paul's heart, hearing that these Thessalonian believers, even though they were under this, this stress of their faith, being persecuted, that they stood firm, that they stood strong in their faith. It was these people that was bringing joy to Paul's heart. These people that was bringing joy to Paul's heart. Sir John, verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Doesn't that bring joy to your heart? There was a young man that I had witnessed to years and years and years ago on the job. And how life goes, I got another job, he got another job, we separated. About three or four years later, I by chance met this fella. We struck up a conversation. He's active in his church. He's leading people to Christ. He's got a home Bible study going. You know what joy that brought to me? That this individual that I had witnessed to, and he came to know the Lord and had lost contact with him, and then here, three years later, the work that God had done in his heart? What a joy that is. What a joy that is. When these believers in Thessalonica were under under stress and standing firm, on your worksheet, it is this distress, is the word. This pressure imposed by the Antichrist, the false prophets and teachers, both religious and secular, preaching this Gnosticism, this knowledge, influenced and inspired by the spirit of error, whose sole purpose is to accomplish what that first lie in the Bible accomplished, and that is to disrupt fellowship between a child of God and the Father. Don't let him do that, folks. Stand firm. Be faithful. Be like my friend. And be faithful. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians. Turn to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Because the Corinthian church was being wooed, being wooed away by the subtlety of these so-called ministers of Christ. Listen to what he says here in 2 Corinthians 11.1. 1. 
What a heartbreaking thing this must have been Paul to write. Would to God, would to God, you could bear with me a little in my folly. And indeed, bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, least by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What a heartbreaking thing that is to hear, to read. I had mentioned previously that these types are jealous of our fellowship. They may not say it, but they are. Why are they jealous of our fellowship? Well, it's because they're under the influence of the spirit of error. And the spirit of error is jealous. The spirit of error is jealous. It's envious of our fellowship with God. Why is that? Because it was jealous and envious of God himself. Remember, on your blank, remember the ambition of Lucifer? Right? Do you, call, do you recall what his boast was? Isaiah fourteen twelve. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. He was jealous. He was jealous of God. So on your worksheet, this hasn't changed. This is still his motivation. That's your blank. His unrelenting pride to be like the Most High by hook or crook. On your worksheet, this fallen angel covets everything that God has. Even to covet another's bride. That's your blank. And so he seeks to woo her away like he did with Eve. Woo her away into error via his false apostles and deceitful workers who transform themselves into supposed apostles of Christ. That's what's going on, folks. That wicked enemy is trying to steal you away from your rightful husband. Second Corinthians 11.13 For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Do I have time to go through this? <laughs> Deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Um, This is one of the favorite titles that these pretenders love to claim for themselves. They love to call themselves an apostle. They do. Or the anointed. They love to call themselves apostles or anointed of God. God's anointed. Well, I've got news for them. 
There's only been 12 apostles. Well, hang on a second. I know some of your Bible students out there are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. But there are. There have only been 12 apostles. Luke 6, 13 to um, 16. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose 12, whom also he named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, and John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Twelve apostles. When Judas hanged himself, this left an opening. Right? This left an opening. And they didn't put in the storefront window looking for an apostle. All may apply. No. They didn't do that. Acts chapter 1, verses 24 through 26. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So the apostle, uh, so Matthias took over Judas's office. And the apostle Peter, before they did this, laid it out very clear the necessary requirements for a person to qualify to take Judas's place. Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. Wherefore, these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John onto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. I think the other fellow's name was Justice or Jason or something like that. I need to look that up. So two men were chosen. And one of the requirements was that these these two men had to be the had to have been followers of Jesus Christ since the very beginning, along with the twelve. Along with the twelve. And we know from the Gospels that there were many who had done just this, right? There were many disciples that followed Jesus during his ministry. And Jesus, from all these disciples, chose these 12 men. Do you remember the 70 disciples that he sent out? In Luke chapter 10, And after these things the Lord appointed other 70 men also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he was to go. So it could be that these two men that they cast lots over may have been part of that 70. And then the second requirement was they had to have witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ along with the other 12, or the 11. By then, Judas was gone. All right? Hmm. First uh, Corinthians 15, 5 says, and that, and that he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then of the 12. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. These two men... Must have been part of that 500. So they met, they met the requirements. They met the requirements. And throughout the book of Acts, whenever the title apostle is used, it's always re- in reference to these 12 men. 
These twelve apostles were sent to the Jews and they are to sit on twelve thrones in the kingdom. Alright? Twelve thrones in the kingdom. And yes, there is another apostle. Paul. Paul is also an apostle, but he's an apostle for a special... He's a, I guess you would call it a special office of apostle because of this dispensation. Because of this dispensation. Yeah, in Galatians. Yep. 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 Acts chapter 9, verse 11, The Lord said unto me, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on, on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him great things how he must suffer. Even the Apostle Paul recognized his, his apostleship in, in 1 Corinthians 4.9. For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last. And in Galatians chapter 1, as James pointed out, he, he also mentioned Peter is an apostle to the Jews. I am to the Gentiles. So why is it the Catholic Church only really talks about Peter? Because they're wrong. <laughs> That's just a short... They're just trying to justify their themselves. That's the short answer. <laughs> That's a short answer. They have to, in order to legitimize themselves, they have to connect themselves to an apostle, that direct descendant from the apostle Peter. So they have, they have to. If, if you know anything about that history, the church history, that's that's what it is. I'm not reading about it. Yeah. Yeah. They just they. There is no direct link, like they claim. There is no direct link. And it doesn't work that way. That's not the way God set it up. There is no apostolic, um, whatever they call it. Yes, Brian? It's a little bit more, and it's, uh, it's also how they can claim the promises of Israel. Yeah, yeah. He's a Hebrew apostle. Yeah, he's a Hebrew apostle, yeah. Yeah, so if you, yeah, if you look at the Catholic Church, a lot of their ceremony and stuff, you read about all that stuff in Leviticus. That's all they're doing. They're taking all that priestly stuff and they're applying it to their to their religion. All that. Yeah. Okay, I lost my train of thought. Which is easy since there's only one rail. So anyway, the long story short is this. With the death of the Apostle John, sometime in the late 90 AD, uh, the, the office of the Apostle ceased. Okay? The office of the Apostle ceased. And now anyone who claims this title for themselves or claims to have had this passed on to them, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Whether it's a male or a female, don't believe it. 
And if anybody comes up to you and they say that they're an apostle, run. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't have anything to do with them. All right? That should be a major red flag to any Bible believer. If anybody audaciously claims to have this title for themselves, uh, calling themselves an apostle of the Lord, avoid them. Avoid them. Um, so, yeah. yes, ma'am. You're saying the office uh, of the apostle ceased with the death of God. Do you have a uh, book, chapter, verse? Book, chapter, verse? Okay. Other than what I just laid out. But I can dig into it a little more if you want and, and present it. Yeah. But, yeah, as far as just the two requirements of the apostle... What makes it one? You have to be with the Christ, and then observe his uh, witness his resurrection. Paul did observe, Paul did observe the resurrection of Jesus Christ because you remember on the road to Damascus, you know who who caused him to face plant, face plant in the dirt. It was the resurrected Jesus Christ. Also in Galatians, it says that Paul for three years went into Arabia. Some people teach that during this three years, very much like with the apostles, you know, he was uh, instructed by the Lord. I don't know. I don't know. But I know some folks believe that. And his apostleship was a special dispensation because he is an apostle to the Gentiles where the other two, 12 were an apostle, apostle to the Jews. That's, you know, that's their effectiveness. That's kind of why the 12 stayed in Jerusalem and focused on the Jews. Also, when Jesus talked about the coming kingdom, it's going to be those 12 that's going to sit on the thrones, you know. So, so that's why I say when the apostle John died, so went the office. So went the office. Yeah, so went the office. So anybody who now claims to have that office, I think I think that's a very prideful, arrogant thing to do. They really have no biblical basis to do so. So be careful of somebody like that. And there are a lot of folks out there who do make that claim. You know, they, they will make that claim. So... So, on, on your worksheet, we're going to have to stop right here. Uh, herein is the importance of our fellowship with God, our abiding in the truth, abiding is the blank, and walking in the light, for it strengthens our espousal. Espousal is the word to one husband so that we may present ourselves as chaste virgins when he comes for his bride to be with him in glory. This is why this is so essential. Truth, righteousness, and love. That's why this is so essential. Okay? All right. So we'll close out with that.